Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Dr. Isam, or better known as Sam Rod. He was one of the guest speakers at our recent annual Healthcare Missions Leadership Summit. And if you missed my interview with him about his work in the Middle East, be sure to go check that out. Dr. Rod also happens to be one of the leading experts and physician inventors in the field of healthcare related to infections and infections in cancer worldwide. He's a distinguished chairman and an endowed distinguished professor of medicine. Dr. Rod has chaired the University of Texas MD Anderson's Department of Infectious Diseases for 21 years. So while I had the chance to be with him down in Orlando, Florida, I asked Dr. Rod if he could give us a brief update and summary on this strange illness called monkeypox. It's a viral disease that is impacting a fairly select group of patients, one that I think is desperately needing Christ followers in healthcare like you and me to demonstrate the great physician's compassion in the midst of all of their suffering. I looked it up and as of the end of September, there were approximately 25,000 cases of monkeypox in the United States, with the states of California, New York, Florida, and Texas having the highest caseloads by far. Dr. Rod shared with me that Houston, Texas has the fourth highest number of cases of any metropolitan area. And because of his area of expertise in infectious disease, he has treated a large number of those cases that have reported through MD Anderson. So let's jump right into our conversation with Dr. Sam Rod. Basically, monkeypox, I mean, it was first discovered the monkeys as an infection in the 1950s, and then later on was discovered in humans. Traditionally, monkeypox was reported in Africa because of contact between monkeys and, uh, or in basically lab medicine between monkeys, um, like a monkey bite, or basically, which would result in monkeypox, or contact with the fluids of the monkeys. So this is how traditionally... But pretty rare, would you say? Pretty rare, pretty rare, and became even more rare after we made a universal sort of distribution of the vaccinia vaccine, which is for smallpox, because they're same, very similar viruses. Okay. So the smallpox vaccine protects against monkeypox. So when, when we tried to eradicate smallpox worldwide, 1980, all of a sudden monkeypox became extremely rare around the world. But then it started emerging when the smallpox vaccine became non-mandatory. This was in the 1980s, 90s, and started increasing in basically Central and West Africa. Until now, it appeared as a basically global outbreak, starting in 2022, where really we're seeing it more like a sexually transmitted disease. Mm And why? There is a reason for this. Besides the bite, biting somebody from a monkey to a human being, it also comes from close contact. But unlike COVID, it should be within six feet, but at least three hours 
face to face or skin contact that is a long term contact so this is one thing so this is why it's transmitted sexually at the same time and now most recently it's being found the dna is being found in uh, both uh, semen and also found in rectum of uh, gay individuals or homosexuals and it's found in saliva So this is why sexually it's being transmitted more often. But I've I've heard some pushback against calling it an STD. Is that correct? Is it or is that actually evolving? It, it's that people are willing to say it is a sexually transmitted disease. Well, I mean, you know, pushback. But but the facts are the facts. It's it is it's it's, it's being transmitted sexually. I mean, there's no doubt. About In ninety eight percent of cases. Yeah, yeah. A majority, more than ninety percent. It is. Uh, Uh, it seems to, I mean, basically sexual contact because it's long term, you know, you spend time with the other person. I'm not saying homosexual versus heterosexual, but it's the fact that we're seeing it. And the fact that it's found in semen, and more recently it's found in asymptomatic people in the rectum mm-hmm. uh, of gay people. So this is why it's becoming more transmitted that way. Well, Dr. Rod, as I shared with you earlier today, I was I've been thinking about for weeks mm-hmm. just uh, because I do follow the news from the American Medical Association, and there's so much news coming out about monkeypox. And I was thinking, I need to get one of our CMDA members, an expert, And here you are at the conference here at the Healthcare Mission Summit, the head of infectious disease at MD Anderson in Houston. And you said you have many hundreds of patients. Yeah, we in Houston, we have around 600, uh, around 600 594 in all Houston. Uh, we're, our concern is when it hits uh, cancer immu- patients, immuno- immunocompromised. Immuno- Then we'll talk a little bit about the treatment. Uh, but I, I don't see, uh, is it offensive if we say it's sexually transmitted? I know some people are pushing back, but the facts are the facts. But I mean, I can say even a word about being compassionate to all people, whether mm-hmm. it's sexually transmitted or whether it's say mm-hmm. non-sexually transmitted, it's the same for us. I mean, as Christian physicians, it's the same as healthcare workers. Yeah, what, I just it, it, it makes me remember the 80s yeah, uh, with right, HIV AIDS. Right. And I, I think I've read a number of yeah. liberal editorials about how the stigma and yes. the church, what happened in the 80s. Clearly, we learned a lot through HIV-AIDS, and I was an African in the midst of a lot of cases, most of our medical ward in my hospital in Kenya filled with HIV-AIDS patients, and they were often heterosexual transmitted cases of HIV. So how is our response, what, from what we learned in the 80s and 90s as a church, what should we take away as we're thinking about monkeypox? We, as Christ-centered uh, healthcare workers, we should develop a level of compassion to all people who are sick, irrespective of what is the source of the sickness, whether it's sexually transmitted, non-sexually transmitted, whether it's a cancer, which has nothing to do with any practice. Uh, uh, we, our attitude is to help, like our savior, the great physician, to help and stand by and serve and ultimately, by His grace, heal these people. Yeah, amen. And help them. Uh, and this is why people were drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician. He wasn't judging them, but ultimately he was guiding them to a better life through him. Yeah. And, you know, many uh, faith-based, faith-focused Christian healthcare professionals Uh, have been accused by the world of being discriminatory when it comes to LGBTQ issues. Mm-hmm. And 
we frequently push back and say, we take care of everybody. Yes. We even did a survey of about 1,500 of our members about three years ago, and very, very high 90s uh, percentage of our members said, I care for every patient regardless of their sexuality, their family status, age, all of those factors. Clearly, there are some things we don't choose to do because we feel they contradict biblical truth. Let's get back to monkeypox, treatment for monkeypox. And also, I'm not hearing about a whole lot of uh, terrible morbidity and mortality with monkeypox. Yeah, it's a very low mortality in the non-immune compromised. Most of the cases are self-limited and they basically disappear on their own. High-risk patients, as I mentioned, the the vaccine will help them, the smallpox vaccine, particularly people who work with, for example, traditionally before this global outbreak, work with monkeys, for example, and so on. And if they, they ever get a bite, it's like getting giving them the rabies vaccine. Here, we, they give them also the, uh, the smallpox vaccine to prevent monkeypox. Had you seen a case, Dr. Rod, before the current outbreak? Had you seen a no, case in your no, career? No, it's extremely rare, and it's mainly in Africa. But we, we, we used to teach our fellows because you get one question on the ID board. <laughs> you get one question out of the so many hundred questions about monkeypox. Are there antivirals that you're uh, using? Now, the antiviral, the only one which is available, is uh, ticovirimat, and you can take it orally or IV, but it's mainly for smallpox. But because of the similarity of the two viruses, the uh, variola virus of the smallpox versus the monkeypox, they think it works and in many situations is being used there. But it's being reserved based on the new guidelines now with the global outbreak to immune compromised or very high risk patients who have a disease which is progressing. Because in non-immune compromised and immune competent patients, most of the cases are self-limited. And it's, uh, the outcome is, uh, the outlook is, is very good. So what does the future look like for this current outbreak of monkeypox in terms of how long is it going to be with us? It could, be, it could become endemic in some places and it might be occurring, but it's self-limiting in that sense. I don't think it will progress to become a something, anything close to COVID, its ramification. I think it's going to be around there, which is probably cases that we hear about every year. Have your immune compromised patients ended up in the ICU and or have passed away from monkeypox? Uh, none who passed away yet, but they progressed. And it, you know, the rash was more like what you see with uh, chickenpox and immune compromised or the uh, smallpox. And this is why the treatment there, the ticovirimat, would be useful. So, Dr. Rod, what are the current recommendations? Who's supposed to get, I mean, you talked about those who worked with monkeys in the past get vaccinated or, or think about them. But who, the CDC, who, who's to get vaccinated now? They're contemplating. Now we see we're, we're building the plane as we, <laughs> as we fly it. A little bit like COVID. So the co yeah, like beginning of COVID <laughs> is exactly similar thing. But it's a different, uh, diff it's a DNA virus and so on. It's totally different. But now uh, they're contemplating very much like uh, with HIV, post-exposure and pre-exposure. Pre-exposure is a high-risk patient population. Who is high-risk? There is the post-exposure somebody who was exposed and there is a window before they develop it, the vaccine could be useful. 
Where can our listeners, I assume CDC is going to have a, a lot of information about yes. this? As this CDC it, website, look under monkey box. A lot of good information. And is this a, a buzz among ID experts across the country? Is this, this surely hasn't replaced the COVID conversation. I assume that COVID still is an ongoing conversation. COVID is still there because it's wider impact worldwide and uh, ramifications and again, high risk patients still there. It has got a lot of attention, though, through the media, but uh, it's it's a different kind of pathway and it's more self-limited. Now, remind, remember, COVID now we achieved quite a bit uh, after so many uh, of the two and a half years, basically, of having Paxlovid and having Monoprevir and having the immune globulins, the monoclonals, basically. Uh, so we, we have achieved quite a bit. And we're preempting disease even in high-risk patients. So, Dr. Rod, I don't want to throw too many curveballs at you because we're going to talk about monkeypox. But in terms of COVID and vaccination, what's the future of COVID vaccination? It seems some of the data that I've read recently, more and more patients have been fully vaccinated and yet are getting sick uh, with variants. So what does the future look like, do you think, in terms of vaccination for COVID? It's, it's becoming more uh, taking the route in terms of vaccination like the flu where every year you will have a new vaccine. I think industry should be conditioning themselves now to follow what is the latest variant and build a vaccine according to that. Now, it's a big burden for, because particularly these are the mRNA vaccines. It's not as easy as the, the influenza vaccine, uh, where they can mass produce them mm-hmm. easily and so on uh, with a new variant. Uh, but still now they're realizing that they have to have, and Pfizer and Moderna sort of speed up and try to get something along the, the new variant. The problem is that the, the variants are occurring at a higher speed than what industry can, can do in terms of new variants. But this is the way it's going to happen in the future. Given your position and responsibility and scope of practice at MD Anderson, are you seeing very many vaccine-related complications and any side effects from vaccines in your experience there at MD Anderson? We haven't seen a lot of side effects uh, related to vaccines and immunocompromised has been, but the problem is in the hematologic malignancy and the transplant, they don't work as well. Mm-hmm. And particularly with patients where the B cells and the immune system is not functioning uh, a, uh, acute lymphocytic leukemia, CLL, uh, lymphomas, uh, where there is a... So they don't respond to the vaccine. And the response is actually by testing immune globulins and so on. is like 30%, unlike uh, many of us who are presumably immune com- competent. It's like 90%. Well, thank you, Dr. Rod, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Mike. God bless you. I'm so thankful for the work Dr. Rod is doing to help treat patients suffering with monkeypox. And I'm also so thankful that he took time out of his busy schedule to sit down with me there in Orlando. The CDC website lists monkeypox cases globally within the U.S. by far having the highest number of cases I mentioned earlier, close to 25,000, with Brazil and Spain each having just over 7,000 reported cases. There's only been one death actually related to monkeypox that's been reported to the CDC here in the U.S. 
Clearly, this is a different kind of pandemic than the COVID-19 pandemic we have faced. Our discussion reminded me about the importance of CMDA's ethics statements. These statements are designed to provide you with biblical, ethical, social, and scientific understanding of a variety of bioethical issues. And we do that through concise statements that are articulated in a compassionate and caring manner. They've been drafted by our ethics committee of our board, and the final version has to go on and be approved by our board of trustees and then by the House of Representatives, representing all of you CMDA members. Some of the topics include transgender identification, healthcare right of conscience, abortion, euthanasia, and many more, up to 90 statements. You can find these statements at cmda.org ethics, or you'll find the link in our show notes today. I'd like you also to know that you can find resources like our ethics statements and much more on our CMDA Go app. Have you downloaded that app yet? Our mobile app is now available to download on Apple and Android mobile devices. In the CMDA Go app, you can set up your own personal CMDA profile. You can check out the latest news from CMDA. You can listen to CMDA Matters and other CMDA podcasts. You can renew your membership and you can make your dues payments through the app. You'll also be able to access a variety of downloadable resources, interact with other members through discussion forums, and join group chats. If you'd like more information, just visit cmda.org app and be sure to visit your device's app store to download it today. Before we finish out today's announcements, I want to take a short break for a Stewardship Matters segment with George Courtney and Paul Montgomery from CMDA's own Stewardship Department. Welcome to another Stewardship Matters. I'm George Courtney, and today I'm joined by Paul Montgomery, our Senior Director for Stewardship and Legacy Giving. Paul, what do you have for us today? George, I would like to talk to you today about something that we don't like talking about, and that is death, or a better word is wheel preparation. Oh, you're so right about that, Paul. All of us can easily become procrastinators when it comes to talking about wills or our estate plan. Yes, George. Wills are generally the last word we speak to our loved ones, our church or our charities that we support. Statistics tells us that about 42% of the United States adults currently have estate planning documents, such as a will or living trust. And for those with children under the age of 18, the figure is even lower, it's just 36% who have estate plans. And if I understand right, the numbers for professionals are not much different than these. That is correct. The purpose of having a will ensures the legacy we leave behind is carried out for many years to come. And the estate planner can assist in those decisions that we need to make of how we treat our children. A lot of times we get hung up on do we treat each child equally or do we give more to one than the other? That's some great advice, and it is a challenge at times for us. We're trying to figure out how to navigate uh, special needs for one child, maybe another child who's maybe gone astray or outside of uh, what we think would be God's plan. They might misuse those resources. And so what would a good plan consist of then? Well, there are usually three components to a good plan. First, there's a will or a trust. 
Uh, secondary, there's the beneficiary de- designation forms that they need to fill out. And third, there's the power of attorney documents that needs to be filled out. The will of trust specifies who will inherit your assets when you no longer need them. If you don't create a will, the court will surely take care of that for you. Uh, having these documents in order offers you peace of mind, knowing your values will be honored and your wishes will be carried out. Having the, the beneficiary designation forms is an important part of the will planning process, and it, it specifies who your beneficiaries are for your retirement accounts, your insurance policies, and your financial accounts. This ensures your assets will be given to the people and causes that are close to your heart in alignment with your wishes. And the power of attorney, both there's a power of attorney for health and there's a power of attorney for business. And you need to appoint a trusted representative to handle your financial affairs or make decisions when you no longer can do that yourself. So I've got my will or trust in place. I've got my uh, beneficiary designation taken care of. I've worked through my uh, power of attorney. What are the benefits that that is to me or to the organization that uh, I'm hoping to support or benefit over the years? Well, the benefits are not take CMDA first. We have been very blessed to have members who have left us in their will. So we are thankful for their generosity and what they've been able to do for our organization. What they have benefited for themselves while living, they've been able to take advantage of what we call tax-wise options. And that way it reduces their taxes, such as stocks, uh, real estate, and other non-cash gifts that they can have. And also there are opportunities for them to get uh, gifts with income by uh, working with us and other organizations like CMDA. We are here and we can help members decide what the best giving options for them. And we would love to discuss those with them. So just give us a call and we will be glad to talk to them. Thanks, Paul. I know uh, we have worked really hard to develop partnerships and resources to just provide the educational information that's needed to inspire all of us to be the stewards that God would have us to be. Is there a resource that our listeners today uh, could maybe call in or write us and request that might help them in their journey of stewardship? Yes, George. We have a recent article called The Roadmap to a Completed Will. If members would like to have a copy, all they need to do is to um, send us an email at stewardship at cmda.org or call us at 888-230-2637. Sounds like a great resource, Paul. Both you and I have mentioned our website. And I would just like to send our listeners directly to that. So if there's some information there that would be helpful to them, they can find that by going to cmda.org stewardship. And you'll find all kinds of helpful information and resources. Until next time, let me remind you in the words of the Apostle Peter, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Well, I hope you were encouraged by that short segment. And as George and Paul shared with us, you can learn more about giving to CMDA by going to cmda.org stewardship. If you're interested in discovering how you can give a gift to CMDA, 
including a legacy gift in your will that will help us continue to bring the hope and healing of Christ to our world through healthcare, our stewardship team would be glad to chat with you about it. You can reach them just by emailing stewardship at cmda.org or just call 888-230-2637 today. Well, before I close today's program, I wanted to introduce you to Mrs. Jamie Majeski, who's going to give us some announcements before I close today's program. If you have a heart for missions and you want to learn how to live missionally in your life in the U.S. or around the globe, then we encourage you to register now for the Global Missions Health Conference. This year's event is scheduled for November 10th through 12th at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And when you get there, be sure to look for the CMDA neighborhood in the exhibit hall. We'd love to introduce you to a variety of ways you can use your skills to serve others. Visit cmda.org events for more information. Here at CMDA, we hope you're planning on joining us at the 2023 CMDA National Convention in the Cincinnati, Ohio area on April 27th through 30th. This is the place to find resilience in your life, your faith, and your practice. Our speakers include Jerome Adams, former U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Daryl Bach from Dallas Theological Seminary, physician-turned-author Dr. Katie Butler, and many more. And last year, we sold out, so don't wait to register for this year. There is such value and support in joining together with your CMDA family at the convention each year. For more information and to register, visit natcon.cmda.org. I will be back next week, uh, actually for a sobering conversation with Dr. Susan Hillis, formerly of the CDC, who is the lead researcher and author of a study that highlights the hidden global pandemic facing our children in the wake of COVID, and that is child orphanhood. As always, if you want to suggest a future guest for our podcast, you can just email us using cmdamatters at cmda.org. And if you like our podcast, would you tell a friend about our podcast and also give us a five-star rating and share us on your favorite social media platform. I want to leave you today with these encouraging words from one of our CMDA medical students in Texas who said, quote, CMDA has been the most meaningful thing that I have done in all of med school so far. To have a community of Christ followers who are going through the same thing I am has been invaluable. It's a place where we know we all love each other and we see God is working. Well, no matter what's happening in the world, whether it's COVID or cancer, monkeypox or mad cow disease, CMBA continues its work of educating, encouraging, and equipping Christian healthcare professionals 
residents and students, all to glorify our God. We are here to help you bring the hope and healing of Christ to a broken world. That is what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters. We'll see you next week, friends, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.